Suzanne from SuzanneDecree.com. And with me, of course, the lovely, the talented Liz Tapia, the Dark Angel from DarkBeautyMusic.com. Hello, Suzanne, and hello to our listeners out there. Hello, everyone. So, you know, one of the things that we probably all dreamt about way back when, when we decided to become musicians, was playing to sold-out stadium after sold-out stadium after sold-out stadium. This week, we bring you reality. Oh, do we have to go back to reality? We do. Just a little bit of reality, though. All right. Not, not a lot of reality. So, I don't know how many of our chatterboxers out there in chatterbox world... Uh, know this, but I was actually part of trying to bring an act to the States to do a tour. Um, sadly, as of yet, we've not yet been successful. Was that redundant or what? Sadly, as of yet, we've not been successful, but we are still working on it. But I wanted to share with you some of the things that I've learned through the process. And then... And then, after I'm done talking, we have a very special guest who has been on many, many, many tours who will fill us in on the details of what happens once we get out on the road. Well, that's exciting. I know, right? Yeah, we'll get to see what we have to look forward to. Yippee skippy! (laughs) And uh, I am going to apologize uh, again. I'm still a little bit under the weather, so my voice is not quite as yippy and skippy as it normally is. But uh, (laughs) let's go into the tour, shall we? So, step one. Pick a new line of work. Oh, sorry. Well, we're we're off to a great start. Sorry. <laughs> Wrong lecture. My bad. My bad. <laughs> um, but seriously, the first thing that you really, really need to know, as with any business, and we can't stress this enough, this is a business. This is how you will hopefully be paying those bills. You must prepare for the tour. Become one with the tour. Be the tour. That's like really deep, Suzanne. It is. I think I just like started looking for my own hip waders. Anyway, <laughs> um, so you have to prepare for the tour. You have to be ready for whatever is may possibly come up. So um, when I was sitting down to try and help this this artist uh, get get a tour together, I remembered I was actually part of, uh, I know you guys have heard the story, but yeah, bear 
with me for a minute, grab a glass of wine. You'll be just fine. Um, I was part of the Marillion, the, one of the original crowdfunding efforts, uh, Marillion coming to, to the States in the uh, late nineties, I believe like 97, 98, somewhere in there. And I remembered all of the numbers we were throwing around back then trying to figure out how much money they would need to come over and do the tour so we could figure out how much money we needed to raise. So enter the OCD bean counter in my little brain. And when I started working on this tour, the first thing that I looked at was similar artists and what cities these similar artists toured. And, you know, um, I had a number that the manager had given me a number of uh, individuals, you know, uh, venue capacity. That's the word I'm looking for. Dar. So uh, venue capacity that the artist would need uh, because there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between a solo artist with a backing band and a band. There's a huge difference in the, in the financial numbers. So that's also something that you need to take into consideration. So I looked at a bunch of similar artists, look at, looked at where they toured. And then I figured out how much it would take for somebody to do one of those tours. Now, I happen to know that this artist, the, the artist that I was working with, attempting to work with, does two days on, one day off. So for every three days, there were two shows. So that goes into it. Um, you have to figure out vehicle rental because, of course, we'd need to rent a tour bus. You have to figure out gas that goes into that tour bus. And I'll give I'll give you a hint. Tour buses do about eight miles to the gallon. So, yeah, figure out a lot of gas money. Tons. Even if you do. An- yeah, I would think that would be one of the most expensive things is just the gas alone. Just doing all of the traveling that you've got to be prepared to do that. I mean, that alone is going to cost a fortune. It was. And, and at the time that I figured it out, gas was almost $5 a gallon. Plus diesel was actually five and a half, almost six. And most of your tour buses are going to be diesel. So it's going to be a little bit more expensive. Um, so you have to rent the vehicle. You have to put gas in the vehicle. You have to feed the band. You know, like our, our favorite operatically trained singer, Liz Tapia, the Dark Angel from darkbeautymusic.com has to be able to breathe all the time. <laughs> you know, a lot of like bassists and guitarists and drummers want to eat. It's so weird. I mean, go figure. I mean, you have to feed people. You've got to let them breathe. What's going on here, Susie? <laughs> you know, I am just a little bit tired of everybody being so selfish and spoiled. That's... I know, I know. Well, I need to breathe, and I want to eat, and wah, 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 <laughs> wah, wah. So. We want it all. I know. Food, air, water. And I think people will get very cranky if you don't feed them. You know, and next thing you know, they're going to want clean clothes on tour, too, for crying out loud. Um, but that is actually something else that you have to run into, is because every now and again, you are going to need to stop at the laundromat so that your fans will actually approach you after the show. Wait, you mean somebody doesn't just come to the tour bus and pick it up for you? No, 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 that doesn't happen. Oh, all right. Um, 
along with uh, some artists, if if they're doing, you know, a couple days on, a couple days off, or, you know, a couple days on and a day off, that day off is actually spent in a hotel. So that needs to be run in. Now, here's the problem with all of these lovely numbers that you have to come up with. How do you come up with the numbers? Here's how I came up with my numbers. And this may or may not help you. Uh, for things like food and hotels and, you know, gas, I kind of knew what gas was within a time frame that we were looking at. And I rounded up a little bit. Vehicle rental kind of knew what that was going to be. And I was, I'll have to admit to being just a tad lazy on this one. And assuming, yes, I know, that the band management would be able to do a far better job negotiating a tour bus deal than I would. So I used the most expensive number I could find. Um, as far as like the hotels and the food, stuff like that, what I did was I took an average year over year cost for hotels in the U S and restaurant costs in the U S and extrapolated those percentages a year in the future. So that I basically accounted for any extra inflation, if you will, any, any extra rise in cost by the time the artist would get here. So that took some digging. I mean, that took a ton of digging. And after I got all of those numbers together, I was looking at a $400,000 tab. I guess my question is, how many cities would this include for the tour that you were trying to put together? This included... It was basically a month-long tour. Well, actually, here, I'll tell you. It was basically the tour that Epica's doing now. Because it was a, a very similar artist, okay? And the tour was basically the same cities that Epica's doing now, which are the cities that I found for symphonic metal bands, because I did a lot of research on this, like what cities the symphonic metal bands hit. These are the cities that they hit. These are the cities that, like, a lot of them hit. And if you look at the the tour that Epica is doing now, you'll see that a lot of, you know, when Lacuna Coil tours on, on their own, they do a lot of the same cities. Um, you know, uh, Leaves Eyes did a lot of the same cities. Uh, there were a couple other bands that I looked at at the same time that were also symphonic metal that were doing uh, a lot of the same cities. So it's basically a month-long tour uh, that Epica is working on right now. Okay, it's basically kind of that same, not quite the entire perimeter of the U.S., um, but basically, you know, you had some stuff on the East Coast, zoomed up along the Canadian border in, into a couple places in Canada, down along the West Coast, and back across the, uh, back across the southern end where you could hit uh, some places in Arizona, some places in uh, Texas, and maybe Atlanta and, and some places around there. That's a lot of traveling. <clears throat> that is a ton of traveling for a month. And um, at two days on and one day off, out of 30 days, you're looking at 
probably 10 days in a hotel if I, if my math is not lying to me, right? Because you've got 30 days divided by three, 10 of them. Yeah, you got like 10, 12 days in a hotel. Um, now, a lot of the venues provide food as part of the rider, but I still accounted for two restaurant meals a day just in case. You know, you can cut down on that, bringing your own food into the van. And a lot of the smaller touring bands go to Walmart and buy food instead of you know stopping at restaurants all the time. But these are all costs that you need to th- roll into. Um, and then after you've got all those costs right and you kind of know where you're going, it's time to call people and talk to them. Maybe. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> It was. And um, this was way back in the day when I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. So I was shooting a lot of emails. I didn't make a lot of phone calls at 4.30 in the morning. Um, but I was... Sh- Except when you called me. Well, yeah. And you kept hanging up on me, darn it. <laughs> so um, so I would actually got uh, a bunch of Polestar books. I think I bought Polestar three or four years in a row. And what the Polestar books do is the Polestar books, P-O-L-L-S-T-A-R, for those of you who are going to look, I used a combination of Polestar and the Indie Bible and a couple of other venue reference type materials that I could dig up. Basically started looking up booking agents and talent agents and buying agents or talent buyers or whatever they're called and looking up venues. So I would cross-reference the buyer with the venues they worked in, made sure the venue was big enough for the artist, and if all of those, you know, if-then-else statements lined up, I sent an email, and I logged that email on a spreadsheet, and I tried to follow up once a week with anybody I hadn't heard back from. And I did this for, oh gosh, Liz, what was it, three years? Two years? Three years? Yeah, you put a lot of work into trying to get this tour off the ground for them. Uh, it is a lot of work. It's a, Yeah, I mean, you've worked on it for a long time. And I remember you talking about all the emails and just the amount of work. Work. To try to get this thing to move forward. You know, and, and at the end, you know, the number of replies that I even got... Um, were minimal. And there, there are some very logical reasons that the number of replies that I got were minimal because, quite frankly, I had zero authority. I mean, you know, the, the, the artist's dog had more authority to book a tour than I did, if you, if you think about it. Um, so, of course, they're not really going to want to talk to me, but it was a fun run anyway. I mean, I, it's not like I didn't give it my best effort, but well, it's an incredible learning curve, too. I mean, just to set up your own tour for the future, you know exactly what needs to be done and you know how to do it. And and hopefully, even though this tour didn't happen. Not yet. It anyway, certainly wasn't be- we're still hoping. Well, exactly. I mean, it certainly wasn't because you didn't put an enormous amount of effort into it. And sometimes it just doesn't work for a lot of reasons that has you know, nothing to do with the work that you were doing, but other, other situations, other circumstances. And that is very true. So as promised, we told you, once I told you what was involved with setting up the tour, we were going to bring you someone 
who has been on many tours. Someone who is... Okay, he's not really more professional than we are. <laughs> but he's done more tours than we have done. He's definitely done more tours than we've done. And before we bring you this special guest, we're going to take a break and we're going to go to commercial and we will be right back with our special guest. Stay tuned. Da, 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 da. Right here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Liz. You know, when we podcast, we like to be in the same room together wearing the same type of clothes. Not to mention sharing an earbud. It's always more fun that way. Because the family that podcasts together stays together. Welcome back, everyone. It's always fun to do a little live commercial. And so. Let's go ahead and introduce our special guest. Suzanne, take it away. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, with us today in the studio of Markoom, we have Mr. Brian Ziegler of 4QMusic.com. Boy, I tell you, I had to fly up to this tower and boy, are my arms tired. Oh, no. Uh, so we are talking about tours and now, Brian, you have a lot of touring experience, yes? Well, I've always been something of a gig junkie. I spent a lot of the 90s just bouncing around in the back of a van and doing shows in Pennsylvania and Ohio and have also done some European touring. And I found that a lot of the same concepts can apply to both local and regional gigs uh, that apply to more expansive trips across the country and out of the country. And so we just got done talking about how to kind of line up the tour. Um, do you have any tips on preparing to go on the road? Well, I think it's really important to keep in mind that it's really never too early to start preparing. I play guitar for a band called Third Degree, who did a two and a half week trip through Europe in 2015. And we started preparing over a year before the tour, which seemed like plenty of time. But between all the information that you have to get in order to play the gigs and travel and making absolutely sure you have all your paperwork in line, a year was enough time, but it got kind of close towards the end. So it's really never too early to start getting ready. You know, did you find, as we were talking about in the in the first half of the podcast, that band members need to, like, eat and breathe and things like that on tour? You do, and I think that's one of the things we could have done a little bit better, is you do become a family when you're on the road together if you weren't before, and there are good and bad things about that. You become really protective of each other and you, you grow bonds that you might have never had before. But you also, frankly, get sick to hell of each other by the time you've spent 24-7 with the same people for 17 days. So I think it's important, if you can, to have some time apart. You really do spend a lot of time together by necessity and hopefully because you want to. But we did take a couple of days through the tour to explore areas by ourselves and for some of us that might mean going on a 
expansive sightseeing trip or just sitting by the park and reading a book, but having a little bit of time to yourself to kind of clear your head can be very helpful. When you are on tour, you're hitting all of these venues. Do, do you make contacts at the venues? Is it, is it just all about the gigs? Are you networking at all? How do you handle yourself once you arrive, uh, you know, to, to do your thing? Well, I think this can be a big part of the difference between a successful tour and one that might not be as successful is the people who work at the venues, as well as the marketing folks uh, and the other people putting on the show, can truly be your best friends. And this is something that applies to both regional and international touring. When we were in Europe, the very first show that we had was in Holland. And there was a concert promoter and a sound engineer and the manager of the club that truly made it a fantastic experience for us. They made sure that we were fed and that we knew our way around and that we had everything we needed. But this is really part of the early preparation that we were talking about before. Third Degree's bass player and I guess unofficial manager had been in touch with all these people for months and months and months before the show. So that by the time we got there, it really felt like we were all friends already, despite the fact that we'd never met these people. And then they went out of their way to make sure we had everything that we needed. You know, it can be tough enough when you're in your own hometown if you forget a guitar cable. But when you're halfway around the world and realize you may have forgotten something, it can really be a frightening experience. But having people that you really almost consider friends in every location before you play can just help make a huge difference. And, you know, also building up a reputation with them as hopefully as decent people that we never trashed anything. I mean, we, we had fun. We, we drank, we acted like idiots, but we were never disrespectful. We never broke anything. We certainly never left a venue in worse shape than we found it. And hopefully, if nothing else, we came away as a band with a reputation for putting on a good show and for being decent people. Wow. Now, last word, last piece of advice you can give anyone for uh, for going on a tour, especially an extended tour, because we were talking about like a like a month long tour earlier uh, in the podcast. So last last word, last piece of advice. Take time to enjoy yourself. And again, this can happen in even in local and regional touring. When I was doing regional gigs in the Pennsylvania and Ohio area, we would do two or three shows away from Pittsburgh. We would book something at a college and book a bar gig and have two or three shows over a long weekend. But even then, we would take time to go to a local museum or go to a historical site to Take Because you may never see these places again. And I think that's even more important when you're somewhere truly fascinating. Like when we were in Europe, we only had one day to really explore London. But that's one day to explore London, and you have to take it. Who knows when you'll have the opportunity again. And it was something that we had to get over in our own minds 
being from the New York area, we kind of look down our nose at the cheesy tourists. And when we were in Europe, we had to become okay with being the cheesy tourists ourselves. You know those horrible double-decker buses that go to all the sightseeing sites in one day? Yes, We took those. And it took us a while to get comfortable with that, but we thought, you know what? If we're going to see as much of London or as much of Paris as we can in one day, this is probably the way to do it. And for as much as we looked like cheesy American tourists, we did get to see the Louvre and the Tower of London and the Eiffel Tower. And you really want to take the opportunity to fit in as much as you can and really, really take time to enjoy yourself. I have a question regarding when you have the entire group together, what happens if you guys are obviously out and about, you're not in a hotel, you're not on the bus, but everybody wants to do maybe something different. Is there somebody that just makes the decision for everybody or do you guys just kind of split up? Like what happens if, you know, how do you, how do you guys handle that? Well, part of that was dealt with in the planning in advance. If I could show you the itinerary that we had, you would probably laugh, but it was right down to which bus are we going to catch to get from this place to that place. So we had a really tightly structured itinerary. And I think it's good to have one person who makes a lot of the decisions. Everyone can put in input before you go as far as where you want to go, but you don't want to end up in a situation where you have a little bit of spare time and everyone's fighting over where to go. A lot of the decisions were made in advance, and we did have a couple of days where everyone was just free to do whatever they wanted to do, but I was willing to take on the role of just kind of the European ingenue. I haven't been in Europe much, so I was willing to say, okay, where's next? Okay, we're going to the red light district in Amsterdam. Great. I'll tag along. Uh, And so... I think as long as everyone has a couple of things that they've said in advance they want to do, that's that's fine. But I think the more of that you can plan in advance, the better. Just to avoid wasting time and arguing about it while you're there. And don't forget to play your instruments and do good gigs and have a blast. Because that really is why you're there. And it's funny, we haven't talked about that all that much. But again, the preparation can help you with the shows probably more than anything. Because you have to be incredibly clear about the gear situation. Now, for example, we only brought our instruments along with us. We didn't bring any amps, which makes sense because bringing amps through the London Underground just doesn't make sense. And I don't even know that it would be feasible. But we had to be really clear with every venue, we're going to need amplifiers or we're going to need drums. And there was one show where, despite our best efforts, communication didn't work out as well as it could have. It turned out to be a fantastic night. It was the night in Paris. And we did an unplugged show and did some improvisation and did some neat stuff that we might not have otherwise done. But I guess that's the other lesson is no matter what happens, keep your head about you and it'll all work out somehow. Sounds like a lot of fun. It was. I think 
for all the stress and work that went into going, I think that was the most important thing was that it was a blast. I mean, I am a stage junkie. I want to be on stage more than anything else in the world. And I like seeing the world, too. So it's funny, in a lot of band situations, it'll be a little more difficult to get other folks out on the road because they'll be worried about gas money and, well, can we afford it? And is it worth it for the band? For me, I just want to go. Let's do it. We're doing a gig in Maine in front of 20 people in the snow. Okay, I'm there. (laughs) Okay. That's just the way I am. But let yourself have fun, sure. I think the hardest part about this whole thing is probably that you have to figure out how to just pace yourself because I would imagine that the fatigue could be devastating if you don't really, you know, carefully pace the trip. One of the things that was scheduled for us every morning was breakfast. And a lot of the places we stayed, we stayed in some hostels and some hotels. We stayed in a number of different places in the 17 nights we were in Europe, I think we might have stayed in 13 or 14 different places. So we were, we were traveling a lot, and breakfast was always included. But sometimes you had to get up really early, and that was one of the few <laughs> difficult sticking points that I'm willing to sleep in and pay for a croissant rather than get the free breakfast that requires you get up at 7.30 in the morning. And it, it can be tough because you do want to squeeze in as much as you can in one day. This will sound funny to anyone who knows their way around England, but in our one random sightseeing day in England, we got up really early, went to Stonehenge, Oxford, and Manchester all in one day. But it was a fantastic day, but tiring. And you're right, you do have to plan in There are days that you're just going to have to sleep in or crash early. For us, it was usually sleep in. I actually have one more question for you regarding the tour. So I'm just wondering, what do you think is the most uh, money that you can make regarding the tour? As far as, like, do you think it's just from having the people at the venue, or do you think it's more from selling T-shirts and the merchandise? How do you make some of the money back that you guys have to lay out just to do all of it? I know this has been part of the podcast and what you've been going over throughout the history of Chatterbox. The money is drying up in the music industry. And one area we were fairly lucky as a progressive rock band, progressive rock is one of the few areas of the music business where hard product is still sold. So we sold a decent number of CDs that a number of other bands might not have been able to sell because the audience who listens to progressive rock still likes to have hard product. I mean, we still buy vinyl for crying out loud. So we did sell a decent number of CDs as well as t-shirts. I think it's helpful if you can to have as many different options as possible. We sold beer mugs and did quite well with those. But dragging beer mugs across Europe and not breaking them is really difficult, and they take up a lot of space, too. So generally, CDs, T-shirts, ticket sales is where most of it's going to come from. And we did not make a whole lot of money. We honestly probably didn't even break even. 
but I was looking at it as a cheap European vacation where I got to play guitar, and that's a dream trip for me. Well, that's awesome, and we can definitely take away a lot of this wonderful experience that you have, and thanks for sharing it with everybody because I'm sure a lot of people have questions about this, uh, even though I'm a singer and I'm, I have my own project and Suzanne has her own project, there, there are still things that we haven't experienced yet, right, Suzanne? That is true. That is true. So, If you get the chance to hit the road, do it. You may learn that it's not for you, and that's okay, too. Then you've learned something about yourself. But for me, it's probably the most fulfilling aspect of my life as a musician is being able to go to places I've never been and see people that appreciate my music. And that's that's an amazing feeling. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. And that about wraps it up for this week's Chatterbox. We hope you guys have gotten something out of this, as usual. I am Suzanne from SuzanneDecrees.com, signing off along with... Liz Tapia, the Dark Angel from DarkBeautyMusic.com. Thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. And a special thank you to... Brian Ziegler, guitarist extraordinaire from 4QMusic.com. What a fun episode this was. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And we will see you... This weekend. Yes. Live. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great couple of days. Everybody sing. Chatterbox. Box for chatter. Chatterbox.